So we're just waiting on Bruce, and he should be here any second, right? I think so. I just texted he, him. Where is he? I don't know. He's probably drunk as usual and late. (laughs) (laughs) Probably messing with the cows out in the paddock. Yeah. Are you going to do video, Scott? No, no, I'm not going to do video because I'm in drag right now waiting for RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't want you guys to see me in drag. (laughs) I want to see you in drag, though. (laughs) I don't care what you don't want to see. I want to see it. (laughs) <laughs> hey, seriously, I got RuPaul's Drag Race at 8 o'clock. Let's start this shindig. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds... That sounds my, daughter, my daughter and I watch it every Friday night. It's so fucking hilarious. Oh, oh my man. God. Well, Scott, then you should do the introduction then. Okay. Ready? Yeah, born ready. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Guitar Wank number... Five sixty thousand seventy hundred fifty thirty. With <laughs> special guest from New York, Steve Cardness, and we're very happy to have him here because he's a badass player and a very nice person. And here he is, and here comes Bruce Foreman, and uh, we're good to go. <laughs> Bruce Foreman. Yeah, sorry, man. I had ants. I had to let him out. You Remember. Know? Remember fish called Wanda? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so the invisible Scott Henderson tonight. I like this. He's I in don't drag. Want you to see me in drag, you guys. I'm in drag right now because I'm waiting to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. He's in a transitional moment, you know. <laughs> yeah. We I'm know you're in RuPaul's Drag Race at eight o'clock with my daughter. We never miss it. We know you're a drag, but man, we want to see you anyway. <laughs> Steve, welcome to Guitar Wank. Congratulations on the Fretboard Journal article. I know. Who knew? Whoa. I did. A, I did a. Um, I guess in April, you know, when we were when we were kind of in the thick of the hunker down, and I almost never do like a Facebook thing where I, you know, do a little video because I don't know. I don't even. I don't even know if I can explain why. Yeah. <laughs> but I did one, and wow. I did it on on my gal's. Uh, Mar- old Martin acoustic. It's a '59, like triple zero twenty one. It's an amazing guitar. It's oh, a great. family instrument, and so I did that. And then this guy, the Brian at Fretboard Journal, who I'd done an interview with before, he he said, "Hey, I, man, would you would you do that tune for the you know the the journal, and then also you know talk about the guitar and all that stuff?" So that's how it happened. That's great, man. It was cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Steve, I've I've heard so much about you, mate. I'm I'm really stoked that you're on the show finally, and uh, you've you've known these guys for a while, right? <laughs> oh yeah, he says, he says with, with great remorse. <laughs> we apo- on behalf of Guitar Wank, we apologize. <laughs> Long time. Yeah, we get to we get to get back at you though by ruining your career right now. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing you could do that would create any more damage that hasn't already been done. <laughs> just wait and see. Yeah, just wait and see. 
I could go into a little bit of the, the history of how I met these guys, if anybody was interested. I'd love to hear your side of the story. <laughs> I'm sure it involves strippers and uh, pornos and uh, the dirty deeds of the underworld, so I'd love to hear it myself. Well, I woke up in a back alley <laughs> with a bump on my head, and and I saw Brute. No, but um, <laughs> actually, I was uh, I was an apprentice at a J.B. Abersold couple of Jamie Ebersold camps in 1980. And uh, that meant Bruce was the guitar teacher. And we met in Greeley, Colorado. And it was, it was amazing. I'd, I'd known about you before, but uh, I was pretty, uh, well, amazed and intimidated. Uh, <laughs> probably it's not aware that Bruce share the this part of it. I mean, I'm going to hijack this because... Steve also like was there for my maybe one of my least professional moments of my career. Um, uh, I was we did the Greeley one, and then we did like Bloomington, Andy, Indiana, right, or Bloomington, Illinois. I didn't do that one with you. I did, I did San Jose after that. Okay, so you weren't on the one that I left in the middle. Well, no. Okay, I okay. So never mind. I don't have to talk about it. Then. <laughs> Uh, but Steve. I thought you were there. But I, I do remember hanging out with you, of course, you know. Yeah. Shit. Shit. fun, man. Steve, yeah. you're probably not aware that Bruce is the guy that goes one, two, one, two, three, <laughs> four. four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, Scott, I mean, I, I don't think I – the first time I actually heard you play live was in you, – you were with Jean-Luc Pony in Kansas City. Because that's where, you know that's where I grew up and and uh, so I heard you play and I think you ended up going afterwards to this one club that I used to play at but I wasn't there that night but but I guess I met you when I lived in it when I moved to L.A. That's probably when I actually first met you. Maybe I think Kinsey introduced us as I remember. Yeah, yeah. And then you started asking me to sub for you some at. Uh, the open counseling. Yeah, and we had some fun gigs at Lavalie. That's right, we did. With yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, fantastic Dave Carpenter. Among yeah, with Carp and and who was who playing drums? You think might have been Joe LaBarbera? I think. Well, I thought it was. We did it a couple of times, right? Mm -hmm. I thought Joel Taylor was on one of those. Maybe he was on one. I thought yeah. maybe one time we played with Joe LaBarbera, but I can't remember because it's been Fine. so long. Yeah, but it could have been him or could have been Joel. It could have been Nov. I don't know. Yeah. But, but anyway, it was awesome playing with you. And I remember being scared to death because you were so uh -huh. better uh -huh. than me. Well, that was the other way around. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. He's making me look like I'm slinging hash over here. <laughs> nah, nay. Nay, nay, nay. <laughs> so, Steve, whereabouts are you right now? I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn. Are you in whereabouts in Brooklyn? Bed-Stuy. Bedstone. I I spent a lot of time in Brooklyn near Prospect Park. Yeah, are you? That's 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 too that's too high rent for me. Oh, are you close <laughs> to that area? Or? No, actually, actually, this me you know the story with where I'm. Well, you know, I mean, Brooklyn is huge, right. but um, I'm from Prospect Park. I'm about three to four miles. Oh wow! Okay. So in in New York. You know, terms that's fairly far. Yeah, <laughs> that is terms, next far. door. <laughs> I was like, damn, how big is Brooklyn? 
But um, me and two other musicians uh, 15 years 15 years ago bought this brownstone and had it renovated. And uh, Whoa, hold it, hold it, hold it. You yeah. and a couple of other musicians actually yeah. thought about business and investing and did something <laughs> smart with your money than well, other buying pedals. What, you didn't yeah. buy guitar pedals and amps? You bought a brownstone? A little smart. <laughs> wow. That's, that's fucking amazing. Well, All me and I Bruce have never done is bought booze. <laughs> I was kind of lucky because um, the, one of them, I was a, his roommate at the time, his singer-songwriter, Richard Julian, and the other guy is Arthur Kell, a great bass player. They, and they opened a club in Brooklyn a few years ago called Bar Lunatico that has music six, six nights a week. It's such a cool venue. Anyway, I, Richard was looking at you know, buying a place. I, I mentioned to him, because I overheard him talking about it with a friend. I said, hey, man, I would do that with you because if you leave, then even if I could get the lease, I said, I just feel like, you know how New York is, the rents, <laughs> they're not going to go down. Yeah, you know? yeah. So... So he was okay, let's go look. And then we looked at a couple of places and then we were looking at one place and, and he goes, you know, I really don't know much about how to make a judgment on like if, the, if a place is good, what to look for. And I said, I have a friend, it's a landlord and Arthur, the bassist, he, he owned, he lived in a building that he owned and he came over and then the rest was history. We just, we found this place and it was a project and a half. Right. But it, but it was one of the smartest things I ever did without realizing it at the time. <laughs> wow. And that was, was what did you say, 15 years ago? Yeah. Damn, what a smart yeah. move, man. You'd be patting yourself on your back now. That's a good move. Well, it's probably the only way I could stay here because I, I, I couldn't afford to live in this neighborhood if I was paying rent. Yep. Yeah. Wow, congrats. And you, so you've, you've been Brooklyn for a long time then. I've been in Brooklyn 15. I was in Manhattan 10. So I can't believe I've been here 25 years. It's just, I can't even believe you think I would have so much more would have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like everything's happening there now. How are you guys, how are you dealing with what's going on currently there? I mean, Brooklyn and New York have been hit so hard by the coronavirus. How are you guys dealing with that? Well, you know, it's, I mean, it is kind of the epicenter. Yeah. <laughs> but we we have a really great governor, you know, actually, or at least he's proven, he's certainly proven to be in the last several months. Yes. He, he, he cares about people. Imagine that. Concept. And, uh, Let's get over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, and because it has been such an epicenter and people in general, can't say it for everybody, but um, in general, people are being very mindful of wearing masks and keeping distances and all that stuff. And the city is opening up in phases, and phase one just started on Monday. Right. And so that's, I can tell there's a little more activity, but um, like, you know, I don't, th- I think it's going to be a little while before restaurants open, like, where you can go in and eat. I think that's going to be a while. I mean, when people, it, forget it. <laughs> when people think of New York and Brooklyn, I mean, besides the amazing culture, you think of the amazing nightlife, the restaurants, the everything 
the concerts, the Broadway, the the clubs, all that. I mean, yeah. that's been affected by this immensely. And then you guys have got to deal with living in tiny places. And the, sometimes the weather out there ain't that kind. Um, Man, you're making it. You're making me sad. Wait, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, it's making me. It's making my look out. My move out to the country look really fucking smart, isn't it? And it just, takes a lot to make me look smart. You know, if somebody would have told me, even a, you know, like a year ago, somebody said, you know, there's going to be a time when you're going to be living in New York, and there's going to be nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing. To, to do and i'll be like what are you talking about yeah (laughs) you know because this is i mean literally it's like you have to you have to use your imagination you know go to the park or whatever but i mean there's like my son my son goes to school in kansas city he's going to school at umkc and we were talking last night and and i said the same thing to him and he and he said uh he said yeah there's, I probably have more stuff for us to do here than you have. I said, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Most likely. Look, look at me. I mean, I yeah. know. I mean, yeah. You can go fishing. You can go hiking. There's the mountains. There's, yeah, there's everything right here. You know? Oh, man. I mean, nothing urban. I mean, nothing like no nightlife, no restaurants, except for the takeout shit if you wanted it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, nature. And the beach, I got Carmel Beach, you know, five, ten miles away, you know. It's yeah. The most beautiful beach in the world, you know. I have been cooking every night, though. I mean, like, never used to do that. Are you getting into it? I'm getting into it, and I'm walking every day. I mean, I would go, used to go to the gym, like, you know, two or three times a week, but I'm walking every day. I'm probably actually getting better and more exercise than I was before. Wow. I Are mean, you- there's these... These things that happen. You guys, this is the air there is so much better than it usually is. (laughs) You guys want to get more interesting stuff. I feel like I'm boring the listeners. They're used to us. (laughs) It's the times, Steve. I mean, everything's changed so much. Have you found that, are you playing more or are you playing less? Or what's what's happening there? Since since the the lockdown, you mean? Yeah. well, I mean, everything, all road stuff has been canceled, of course. Yeah, but as in, are you on the instrument? I mean, I'm finding well, that I'm, I'm playing I'm, more. I've been practicing my behind. It's so great. I mean, I haven't gotten in this kind. I mean, I feel like a, a teenager again. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm really happy in terms of, uh, you know, the time, kind of, sort of like the more personal time with the instrument. Because it can swing so much the other way where you're playing a lot and you feel like you're not being internal enough with it or something, you know. But but I I went to this club. He's, another friend of mine owns a club, and on Tuesday nights, he and a couple other musicians are getting together and playing, so they invited me. And I went on Tuesday, and we played, and it took me several tunes to get out of sort of practice head. You know, like, like, wait a minute, wait, conversate. I'm playing with people, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, okay, she's, yeah, because that's a, that's another muscle, you know. Yeah, the bed, the, yeah. the bedroom chops and the, the stage I mean, chops, right? And it's not to say practicing is just technical. It's, it's just, 
it, you know, it's a different environment. Yeah, and different base to others, deal with. Playing with others is a conversation, you know. Yeah. At so, its best. So <laughs> your time in New York and Brooklyn, it's obviously a lot of subways and that. How do you go? How do you guys get around with that? You don't have to take take gear beside your guitar right most of it's got an amplifier there or something or yeah a lot of clubs have most of them have pretty decent amps you know it seems like the kind of the fender deluxe is yeah been a, which i like a lot you know but um but i have a car because in brooklyn it's you know i would have never dreamed of considered having a car in manhattan but in brooklyn right. you can park you yeah. know even if it's a, a pain later at night but um so i have i have a car and i last time i took a subway was march 12th <laughs> <laughs> wow. and that's going to be another long time before i do that yeah yeah i can't imagine too many people are doing that in new york at the moment or avoiding i that. mean some, some people have to you yeah know, some people yeah, if you had a gig that you had to do in Manhattan and you lived in Brooklyn, you would be taking it, you know? Well, I would, I mean, I, I used to, I would, you know, after 6 p.m., parking in Manhattan isn't so bad, depending on what part of town it is. Obviously, Midtown, forget it, you know. But village area, not, not, not too bad, really. Um, so I would drive in, and that's usually more where the gigs kind of happen, besides, you know, I mean, Birdland's in Midtown, stuff like that yeah lincoln center that's yeah oh even lincoln center yeah oh sorry man didn't mean to cut you off for our listeners we always do this man yeah tell us like a little bit about your career man where you started and who were some of the people that you've played with and that you really enjoyed working with and you know we 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 make everyone do this. For- oh, God. Okay. So, wow, he played with God. He's too late yeah. to Google <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I really moved up from there. No. Yeah, right. Well, he's too lazy to Google you. He wants you to fill in the blanks, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just, you know, if you've got any stories about people that you really enjoyed playing with and, and like, say, maybe the, the, the people you've played with for the longest, the longest time you were in a, in a group. You know, the stuff like that's what our audience really likes. And then, then you can start telling about your bathroom experiences and stuff like that later. <laughs> Save that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into kind of therapy mode here and lie down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, I, I grew up in Kansas City. That's where I was born and raised. And I actually stayed there probably longer than most. You know, like a lot of musicians will leave and go. If, if they choose to go to another town in their early 20s or go to a music school or whatever. But I was playing, you know, from the time I was 18, I was just gigging and learning and playing in groups with, you know, people older than me that were showing me so much. And every group I was playing, I mean, there was even a, there was a point, I think in kind of 81, 82, I was playing seven nights a week and, and, five afternoons of matinee. Wow. Wow. And so, (laughs) and, and that matinee was a two guitars and bass and we were just playing tunes and, and I was learning, that's where I really learned a lot of tunes on that gig. And, um, not that I necessarily remembered all, all of them, but, um, are we, uh, are we still in the jazz round still? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, 
I mean, it, it was an amazing town to grow up in. I mean, obviously because of its history and, and I'm old enough of, of course, to where some of those like Jay McShann was still around and I did one gig with him. No, it wasn't his gig, but he was a guest and played three tunes with the band that I was in. And, uh, it was, it was like jaw dropping. Um, but it's kind of surreal. And then, but there was this guy that maybe, you know, about Claude Fiddler Williams, who used to play with Jay McShann and Claude was from Oklahoma and he knew Charlie Christian give you an idea his generation. And so he was kind of, you know, he was, he was the first guitar. He was playing guitar on Count Basie's band before Freddie Green. Wow. And he said that he got fired because this was a cool thing. I, I did a handful of gigs with Claude. One of them was at a Missouri State Fair where he drove. It was just the two of us. And, man, I wish I had a tape recorder on that drive there and back. Holy crap. But he, he the two things I remember most that he said on that drive was that he – he was kind of nudging Count about, he's saying, you know, let me, I, let me play violin some, you know, because that was his real love. You know, he liked to play guitar, but violin was his thing. And he said, Count was going, yeah, well, you know, we'll see, <laughs> you know. And then next thing you know, he said, I got fired. And then they hired Freddie Green. And then he said, Count, it turned out that Freddie Green owed Count Basie's manager a bunch of money too so it was kind of like all worked out <laughs> but he also played great you know um and then the other thing claude kind of verified the charlie parker story about her stories about when parker was young he said he would come around to sessions and and just didn't could couldn't play you know <laughs> and, and then he said yeah, then he went away for a while and he came back and it was like wow you know <laughs> wow! So, I mean, was, yeah. So okay, <laughs> that's for real. Yeah. Damn, that's yeah. That's some pretty good history right there. That's pretty cool. I was I felt really I'm incredibly lucky to you know have that you know, just a, a few of those guys that were around and I got to hear Big Joe Turner at a, you know park concerts and there was these also park concerts every Sunday that were happening when I was in high school. Um, that were put on by I can't even I don't know who put her who financed it or it was like Casey Jazz Fest or something, but but that's where I heard Joe Pass came and played solo at one of those, and I I met him briefly and then Gary Burton's quartet used to always play at the very end of the summer. So the first quartet that I heard was that was Matheny and Swallow and Bob Moses with Gary Burton. So that, you know it was. I was, you know, my last year of high school, I'm like, damn, you know. And then I uh, saw Mingus's band and uh, Woody Shaw's band during the Rosewood album period. So there was this environment. And that, along with the, the guys, the other guys that I was that were playing with were, you know, older than me, but younger than, than the, the old guard. But one band was mostly kind of swinging more bebop type tunes another band would be all originals uh you know i had a trio with claude me and another guitar player and a bass player where we we just played what claude wanted to play we just said claude wherever you want to play <laughs> and we did about 10 gigs and oh man so that's why i didn't leave because for a long time i just felt like 
it was a really great environment. And even though, you know, I probably would be a better sight reader had I gone to music school and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, but I don't really regret. So, so by the time I did, I, I got an itch to leave and just play, just be somewhere else and see what it was like. And I'd been to New York a couple of times that was in the eighties and it just kind of scared the crap out of me because at that time it, it was pretty intense. And a kid from Kansas city, I just, I wasn't, I, you know, musically probably, (laughs) but also just kind of, it was such a hardcore urban environment. So I had, I had visited some friends in San Francisco and loved it. And I thought, I'm going to go stay with them for a little while before our next thing I know I did and got a place. And that's how I ended up there. Uh, so you were in San Fran for a while. I was there for f- about four years. Yeah. Then I was in LA for two years after that, mostly because the trumpet player, Jeff Beale had moved down there to get more involved with film scoring, but he had a, he was doing some gigs and he would say, Hey, you want to come down here and do some gigs? And I, I did enough of those that I just thought, why don't I just stay down? You know, like I subletted for a while, and that was the same thing. I just I was there, and then I just got a place. <laughs> so obviously, LA wasn't. Did what pulled you away from Los Angeles? Well, there was a drummer. I know you, Bruce. You know Mike Hyman, right? Sure, very well. Yeah, he's one of my best friends, and and so Mike. I knew Mike in the Bay Area, but when I moved to LA he was there and we used to we would get together and just play duo in his studio just you know practice together and and at the so I was was in LA two almost two years and then the girlfriend that I was living with at the time we were breaking up and I was looking for a new place and Mike calls calls me up just out of the blue and says hey man um, Mitch Foreman's ex-girlfriend has an apartment in East Village that she can only sublet for one more year and it's available. I want to go back. Do you want to be my roommate? And I just said, yes. I didn't even even give myself time to think about it. I was just like, yes. Because I I knew that if I didn't do it, that I would never would do it. If I didn't just take advantage of that. And, And also, I things in LA were going well enough to where I thought, well, I could go do that for three or six months. And if I didn't like it or didn't feel right about it, I didn't feel like I would have to start all over, you know, if I went back to LA. So uh, you went and moved to the village. I was in the East. I was on second street between first and second Avenue. So yeah. that's 1995. And, um, uh, it was fantastic because it, it would. I mean, Giuliani, <laughs> yeah, was the mayor at the time, and he uh, and so it the town would was going through that sort of transition, but it had it was kind of there's still a lot of the the old New York with some of the kind of newer, you know, yeah, gentrification beginning to happen, but it was it was. I was really glad I did it. And, you know, it was scary because I was, 
there's kind of, you know, with each of those moves, it's kind of like I'm going, okay, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, every time I get kind of a little established somewhere, I'm leaving. So, you know, either you either this, this <coughs> got to take or I'm just going to, you know. But um, going to so, be a gypsy, baby. Yeah. So the first, um, you know, year was kind of, I was going back and forth to California some and, and uh, I was playing with a couple of groups. There was one group I went on the road with a little bit. Then this singer named Madeline Peru kind of emerged on the scene with her first record. And my buddy, Kenny Wallison, who I'm, I know Bruce knows Kenny too, um, uh, drummer, he recommended me for that, for the road gig. So that, that I'd been in New York a year and a half and that was kind of perfect timing because I needed something like that. And, and I was doing that for, you know, pretty much a, a year, but about nine or 10 months into it, I was kind of thinking, you know, this is a great gig. I, I'd like to do some other stuff. And about the time I had that thought, that's when Paul Motion called and just kind of out of the blue asked if I wanted to do a tour that no, didn't need, you know, somebody had recommended me and he didn't need to, it was the way those, a lot of the old school guys just kind of operated on, oh, if so-and-so told me about you, you must be okay. So you want to do this, <laughs> you know? And I figured, well, I'll do it. Cause you know, he, even if he fires me after the first tour, at least I got to do one, you know? Right. <laughs> and who was playing, who was playing in that band? So, uh, at the time, so that was the Electric Bebop band, and that was fall of '97. And so the that was the instrumentation was two guitars, two tenors, electric bass, and drums. So that at that time was me and Rosenwinkel on guitars, Chris Potter and Chris Cheek on tenors. Jeez, that's a hell of a band right there. <laughs> And then a ba an unknown bass player named Steve Swallow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good band. <laughs> it was really, it was cool because I remember that, because I, I remember asking Paul on the phone, I said, well, you know, will you want to get together and rehearse, you know, before he goes, oh no, man. Um, we'll just run. If you want to run some tunes at the first sound check, I was like, okay. I said, can I, get some uh, music, you know, and he, he said, well, oh, I'll send you some music, but you can talk to the guys about, you know, what tunes we do and what. So I got this, he sent this big fat book. It had everything in it, you know, and, and I knew maybe half of the tunes, but there was a bunch of, well, this is another thing. It was like, there was a bunch of bebop tunes that I've always wanted to learn or learn better. And so it was like, great. Okay. So I'm not even going to ask him which ones they've been favoring. I'm just going to learn them all because who knows when he'll call something, you know. And uh, it was great because I had three, I had about two and a half to three months to shed, you know, to kind of get comfortable with what the tunes might, you know, be. And it was, it was really cool. And that band configuration was, that was the, that configuration for the first couple of years. Then it, then it kind of transitioned because diff different people just got busy with other stuff. And then Ben Monderer was on guitar. Um, Pietro Tonolo 
an Italian saxophone player, and Andres Christensen was the bass player, with me and Cheeks still staying in. That morphed into where Tony Malaby was the other tenor, and it became an octet. Oh, Jack Jakob Bro did it in place of uh, uh, Ben Mond or some, and then we had piano and viola at one point. It, it got to be quite a, a big ensemble. And then Paul how, started how long did you play with music. Huh? How long did you did you work with that band? So that was I mean, from the first tour till when Paul passed. So fourteen years. Jeez. Yeah. Like on and off tour. You know, yeah, how many I mean, times a year did they tour? Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, because his the trio with Frizzell Lovano, that was the that was the his you know, that group worked more than any of his other groups. But he had he liked to have this band just, you know, he liked to have other bands and play with other people and be a leader of other kinds of groups. And he had, an, so he had that band, our band, the trio and a band called uh, Trio 2000 plus one or plus two, depending on who the plus. And that was Masabumi Kikuchi on piano and, mm -hmm. and Grenadier was on bass. And then Potter was in that for a while. Lawrence Dillman, different folks rotated through there. When when you guys are touring, is this uh, all just America-based stuff, or are you internationally? Or well, with Motion, that was all Europe. Actually, oh, wow. okay, yeah. Because there's an agency in Austria called Saudades, and Saudades, <laughs> and they uh, they're a, a, the guy who's no longer alive, Thomas Dalson. He, he he was kind of around at the beginning of ECM and he went into the touring management business. And so he, he represented as an agent a lot of kind of former or semi-ECM artists or maybe, you know, uh, European jazz artists and stuff like that. So he retained a lot of those connections and motions band, uh, Charlie Hayden had done some in Swallow's band. And then I was in Joey Barron's quartet for a long time and we, Saudades would book us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, we did play Iowa city with Paul. That was pretty fun. And we went to Brazil once and did play two gigs. And he, and I found out at that when we did that, that he had never been to South America, which I found absolutely amazing. Incredible. Like with everything that he had done, Mm -hmm. You'd never played in South mm -hmm. America. <laughs> so that's probably associated with Paul Motion more longer than anybody else you've worked with, right? Yeah. It's uh, a long time. Yeah, that is. Liberation. So I, so I joined Liberation Music Orchestra in 04, and that was Charlie, that's Charlie Hayden's group. And that group had been around a long time and has, has had rotating membership because it's one of those bands that would surface – you know, very honestly speaking, just whenever there was a Republican administration to protest against. So it started out with the Vietnam War protest <laughs> and and that their first record. That first record is incredible. It, you look on the cover because they're, they're holding this banner that says Liberation Music Orchestra. And, and the musicians, I mean, it's like Dewey Redmond and Don Cherry and uh 
you know, Andrew Surreal in motion and Sam Brown on guitar. Remember Sam Brown? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, God, you know, Roswell Rudd and, and Gato Barbieri. And I mean, it's pretty amazing actually. So, so in 04, that's, you know, Charlie, the band hadn't played much, say during the Clinton years. And then next thing you know, there's the Iraq war. And then Charlie was like, okay, getting the band back together. And a lot of the old guard, I mean, some had passed away and then some just didn't want to go on the road anymore. And so it was really mostly new membership with just maybe two or three uh, people from previous group, uh, incarnations of the band. So, yeah, Matt Wilson was the one who uh, nudged me to call Charlie. But that, I'm talking so much, but that all started with when I subbed for Koontz at Cal Arts in 03. Larry went on sabbatical. And then mid-semester, I get a voicemail from Charlie Hayden just, hey, Steve, this is Charlie Hayden. Could you, do you want to play a, a few tunes with me up at school, just a short little concert for administrators. Uh, <laughs> like a uh, duo uh, with Charlie Hay- uh, Okay, you know. So I went up there with the nylon string. My friend Jim Hirschman, where I was staying, had left the nylon string. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the nylon string because I think, I think he'll probably like that. And he did. And we did about five tunes together. And it was, man... It was like sitting in the most comfortable chair, just the, the, the vibe and the sound and the time. It just like, oh, I'm not nervous because this is just kind of easy and fun, <laughs> you know, just yeah. like, you know. <laughs> so, um, but that, it was lucky that I, I got to do, I mean, that, I'm sure that he had talked to Motion and Paul Price said, hey, one of my guys is out there. And that's probably how that came about. But but when I when Matt had mentioned Liberation was reforming and I called Charlie and I said, um, Hey Charlie, it's Steve Cardinus, you remember me? <laughs> oh yeah, man. I said, Well Matt Wilson told me, you know, you're reforming liberation. I just want to let you know I would love to do it if you need a guitar player. And he's like, Oh yeah, okay, man. Well, you know, I'll let you know. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay. I'm not gonna and then about a month later, another voicemail, you know, hey, Steve, you want to, uh, we've got a tour in uh, this summer and we're going to do a record. Uh, let me know if you can do it. Bye. You know, <laughs> <laughs> same wow. thing, you know, it's just, so yeah. And that same thing, you know, Charlie passed in, in 14. So that was 10 years, but the last couple of years, you know, the last gigs I did with him were at the end of 11. And then he got pretty, he started getting weak and sick. And then he, he was out of commission for all of 2012. He came back in 13 and did maybe one or two things. But unfortunately, because he had polio when he was young, not the kind that affects your legs, apparently, but your throat. Oh, wow. Yeah, and oh. so he got to where he couldn't swallow. And yeah. Yeah. So, so where did you, where did you go from there? Were you, were you were obviously you're based in you're based in Brooklyn at this point. 
Yeah, I, I moved here in 2005 into Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so then, you know, I, I started teaching at the new school. I mean, in 2000, I became adjunct, so I was doing some private lessons for them. And and then um, in 2007, the Monk Ensemble, John Hicks had led it, and he pa- he had passed the year before. And so another friend, Doug Weiss, this bass player, said, you should you should interview for that, you know, because I was part of this Hal Leonard book with Don Sickler, where we put together um, all of Monk's tune, tunes in one volume. And um, so I wrote a letter of intent and interviewed and got the gig. And so ever since 2007, it's, you know, I had that one ensemble and then few years later I got they started this class called guitar duos they wanted to focus on comping mostly which I thought was pretty cool and so I've I've taught that class since 2011 it's great because you know guitar players they want to work on their soloing all the time <laughs> so it's like I just take a particular area and and I and you know I don't necessarily feel like I'm an expert at anything maybe other than being able to play with a band well <laughs> and be a team player, you know, but, but I, but I've played long enough and in enough situations and have listened to enough music to say, Hey, you're going to need to know to play like Freddie green. Even if you don't think you will, even if you think you don't like that kind of music, even if you think oh, I'm going to go play with John Zorn and he's never, Oh yeah. I'll guarantee you John Zorn's going to turn around and he's going to go, Freddie Green. <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh, 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 what? <laughs> Steve, how, that, kind of, that kind of rhythm playing, how much has that crossed over into other styles that you've worked in, just having that, that solid foundation in you know, Freddie Green kind of rhythm? Well, the thing is that, that I mean, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't feel like that I'm super, I'm, like I said, I'm not an expert or super immersed in like some areas more than others. Right. But, but I played enough, you know, gigs where you have to do that. So I, I know, and I've, you know, listen to Freddie along with Jim Hall, the way he's like so great at that, you know, among others, you know, so I, I can, I take one day of that, like each class is, I just say, look, I'm going to show you, you need to know how to just be able to do this and know what it is, you know, if you want to become better at an expert, that's on you, but you need to know kind of what it's sort of involved in getting there. And so, so Steve, what is it? I'm exposing them to just something that they wouldn't otherwise, you know, probably go to. Steve, tell me, tell me for people who don't know that, that style of playing, what is, what is it? Well, it's probably easier to do than describe, but I mean, it's a lot of, it's a few different things because I mean, some people have speculated that Freddie sometimes would just, it's like, it's more just about like, he's a, a part of the literal rhythms that, you know, the drum, like the, the, the percussive part. So of it's it. like he's playing one or two notes or right. something yep. or things are so muted or, you know, whatnot, but you know, there's this, Oh, you ever heard that tune, The Elder, the Count Basie Orchestra, where Freddie takes a solo? 
it's absolutely incredible because they how they re- I would love to know how they recorded it because it's just you know it's like they're playing and counts first counts finishing up his little solo it's quiet the band comes in and goes and then Freddie goes, and it's this little conversation that goes on between him and the band, and it's ridiculous. And 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 you get kind of a a bit more of a of a windshield wiped off view of how deep his thing was, man. You know, not that I ever doubted that it wasn't, but like just. It's pretty incredible. So when you when you're teaching this class, where do you start students off with? Who, who I, have, that's what I that's what I do the first day. It's right. Freddie Green, because 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 I well, what and I'll play things for him. So I'll play uh, I'll play I I think maybe the first thing I play for him is an Eddie Eddie Lang Lonnie Johnson duo, you know, because that's one of the earliest guitar duo recordings is with those two guys. It's so great, man. It just grooves like. Hell, yeah, and Lonnie Johnson is playing on twelve string and just relentless, just, just you know, you know, and so it's really just trying to get him to to value, you know. I mean, it, there's the Freddie Green thing, but it's also just say, hey, look, you guys, quarter notes, time, think about it, you know, <laughs> it's important. You know, <laughs> so it's really, really, really oh, stepping sorry. stepping into that rhythmic, like a, being a percussionist as well with the chordal movements and just being solid as a rock, just laying it yeah. down. Yeah, and just exposing. You know, a lot of it is just getting trying to get their ears more open to other things. Mm-hmm. And so then maybe after that day, then the next, then what I call regular jazz guitar comping. That's a hard one, man, because it, it's. It's comping is improvisation, and that's the thing. I said I, I always tell them like so. So when you're playing a tune, you realize that about maybe five percent of that tune is your solo at best. <laughs> the rest of it, you're comping. You mm-hmm. know, so you better be good at comping. You know, I don't know why not, guitarists. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess I know why, but guitarists, we all focus on the solo. Well, we well, do it's things hard. backwards. It's for yourself. It's hard to sit. Well, you us, know, us mere mortals. What? <laughs> what? I mean, I mean, logistically, it's easier to um, sit at home and blow over a tune, you know. Yeah. Even if you were doing kind of chord solo, you know, you're 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 going to do more. You're going to have more activity in what you're doing than if you were playing with others, you know, most likely. So, the art of comping comes with experience a lot of it yeah, you know? yeah but it also comes with listening you know you have to listen to music and and you have to key in on not just the soloist but listen to what's happening with the piano and or guitar or vibes or you know and i learned so much about comping just from listening to piano players you know the way the way they'll comp for their own solo as much as for anyone else right you know? That's that seems to be a running theme I hear through so many guitar players is everyone from obviously Bruce Foreman and Scott and and you Steve to Eric Johnson to just so many players in, across all styles they always bring it back to the piano player. Yeah, well, and and the the thing is that that um, 
I keep shifting around here. Sorry, it kind of goes light and dark. It's totally fine. Yeah. But um, uh, I know that, you know, you know how it is when you listen to records and in records that you've listened to a lot and, you know, you know, you could sing the solos too. You know, like there's a bunch of Joe Henderson records and whatnot. I could just sing this right along with the solo, you know. But I can also sing, I can also like, sing the comping too, you know, it's like with particular tunes or particular bands, you know, like even Scott, you know, like certain weather report things, the way Zawinul comps. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. You I mean, know that Wayne tune Palladium on heavy. Yeah. Weather? Geez. That's the way Zawinul comps in between. Probably some of his more Latin comping, you know, he didn't usually comp in that Latin style very much. It, yeah, but, but it on that tune, and it was really but, amazing what he did. Yeah, but I mean, it's not it's not traditional like salsa Latin. But no, no, no. But it was just it was just sort of in a Latin type of feel, yeah, you know. But it's rhythmic, and it's and and he's having a conversation with the like the t- he's basically like, okay, there was the melody, there was the phrase, and yeah. then he's like, okay, and to me that that those kind of things make such an impression. You know, Bill Evans was that way a lot too. The way he so his chick, play you know, and chick, right? The way they would play something and then come down on two or come down on the end of something, mm-hmm. and yeah. and you just learn to feel that if you or if you learn to feel that in your body or you just do by listening a lot, then it gets into your playing by osmosis. One hopes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I just saw this chick thing on on YouTube. It was pretty recent. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Chick, it, chick, or chicks? Chick Korea. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I thought yeah. that was a weird thing. It's like, oh, hang on, guys. I just saw these chicks on YouTube, and yeah, okay, Chick we Korea. Are, okay, it just yeah. turned into the Howard Stern show. <laughs> oh, it usually <laughs> it was, does, Steve. <laughs> yeah, it always does. But um, it was really cool. They were they were playing. They were playing one of those really old Chick Corea fusion tunes, which you wouldn't think would lend itself to that kind of playing. But the way Chick was comping for, you know, like some of the guys that were soloing, it was just really just off the hook, man. And I mean, this is just probably in the last year or something. So he he still got it. I mean, he's still amazing at the rhythms he chooses. And he, he always manages to stay out of the way, not step on anybody, but just feel get into the holes. I know. Just, he's, he's really intuitive about that. He's always he been listens. that way. He listens. I mean, that's yeah, really... Really listens. It's just yeah. listening. So you're listening yeah. and you're conversing, and some of that conversation is being quiet. Yeah. Well, see, what I like to do is when someone's playing, you know, plays a solos, I like to just, like, play really long bar chords and just drown <laughs> them out. That's kind of my concept. <laughs> Yeah, we know. <laughs> it, it's kind of like step on the loudest fuzz I have and go. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to mention any names, but here we go. But you know, I've had a couple of guys, like famous guys, come and play with me in my open counseling room in school. And Jesus, I mean, I just had to give up because when I would try to play. They would be comping so much and up high on the guitar, and it's like, and louder than me, and it's like I couldn't play. So, so I had to sort of just like go, you know, I don't really want to. 
go there with that guy because it's very hard to play with him, you know, just because he just, I mean, it's just like when he comps, it's like his solo, mm. you know, and that's yeah. why I always really enjoyed playing with you, Steve, at Lava Lee, because you were, I mean, we had a thing and it was really nice. It was musical. I don't think we ever, you know, it was, you're a very easy person to play with. And, and I've played the, uh, with Bruce many times, you know, just a couple times at school. It's like so easy and effortless because you guys listen and you guys know how to do it. And it's like, wow, it's fun. You know, you don't ever have to feel like, uh, you don't ever feel nervous or, or, uh, locked in, you know, because of someone's comping. Man, I love to comp. I mean, yeah. you know how, that's like you know how, thing you know how bad it feels. No, when it really is. You in and you're trying to play and something I mean, out to me. Somebody's like playing these inside chords. Boards and you're going would you please stop it like i'm trying to do something here but they're playing really inside chords and and you can't <laughs> do your thing because they're locking you in it's so well, hard to know, deal with that i mean a lot of it is like you you know you listen you, you you have your we all have our favorites you know because we have a style and we know what we like to hear and as guitar players we can even comp for ourselves so we know if, what to do because we can do it but we get into a situation and there's so many ways to go and, and you have to assess what the right thing is. And it's not just the soloist. It's also the, the rest of the band and what they're doing to fit your piece into everything and make it work. And, you know, and you have to be aware because like some people do like chicory as comping. Some people don't, you know what I mean? They find it really busy and, and jagged you know some people like herbie's comping some people don't you know some people like winton kelly some people don't and so as a comper you just got to kind of intuit what the right thing to do and then be aware of the effect of what you're doing is happening on the thing so that you can adjust you can see right away when you're taking up too much space or when somebody wants more from you there's there's all sorts of signs of course, musically you hear them, but you can see them too in the person's body language, and not just the person you're comping behind, like the soloist, but the, in the rhythm section, the bass player and the drummer. You can see the way they're working, and when you haven't, you intuit the right thing to do. You go down that road, but you also have to stay aware that hey, man, just because I think this is the right thing, what's the effect of this? You know, because I've got options here and I've got ways to deal with this situation. And that, to me, is why I love comping so much, because with soloing, it's like you got to be kind of like, everybody follow me, you know? And whereas, which is a lot easier than being in that place of like, okay, I think this is the right, I believe this is the right thing to do. I'm doing it with all my heart. Oh, no, I got to adjust it. You know I mean? It's like, you know, the guys who, who want you to fill in the spaces, the guys who don't want you to fill in the spaces, the guys who want you to just lay down the changes so that they can do all the stuff outside of it. The guys that want you to fit, give them ideas harmonically, the guys that want you to give you ideas rhythmically, you know, the guys that want you to stoke energy and the wise guys that want you to leave them alone. I mean, this is what you've got to play with. And no one, at least when I was coming up, talked about that. Yeah. You just had to intuit it, and you could you could see it was right or wrong. And of course, if you didn't know better, you just never got hired again by those people. Yeah, that's true. That you you really summed up summed up kind of like the 
a lot of the the different situations that people the nuances of people the preferences that people have and if you've never played with somebody before you ha- you got to use your best instincts and i always feel like it's it's better to to err on the side of being conservative and just lay it down lay it down the middle and just yeah. listen to them listen to how they're playing um you know you don't want to box anybody in with right like, i always feel like if you do use too many extensions or or sub chords and stuff you what if this person isn't doing that you know right right you know i always tell my students they ask me like what do you, you know how do you comp for people and the first thing i tell them is your number one job as somebody that's comping is to make the person feel comfortable so, yeah. so it's like usually that means kind of staying out of their way a little bit, you know, like comp, don't comp high things, don't comp a lot of out stuff unless you feel like you know what they're doing when they're playing out and don't play a bunch of inside stuff when they're playing out, you know, just make them feel comfortable. And then I also tell them, you know, there is human co- uh, conversation. You, you, you don't always just play with one guy one time and never get a chance to talk to him about it. You can walk up to the guy and say, hey, man, is my copying cool? Do you want me to play more or less? And usually they'll go, no, it's great. I like it. It's cool. But they might say, yeah, you could play a little less or you could play a little more. And why not just ask them? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like I have a lot of guys that, that you know I've played with many times, and they always say, you know, I kind of like when you play pads more than choppy stuff, like when you play long chords, and they like that. Like, especially bass players. Bass players seem to like it when when I just play a long whole note chord behind them than play choppy rhythms, you know? And right. I wouldn't have known that unless I asked him. And then he told me. And it's like, okay, so I know that's what you like. So I kind of get on the volume pedal sometimes and just play long chords while he's soloing. Because, you know, like, bass players can't really comp chords for themselves as well as guitar players and keyboard players. So... He kind of likes to have that layer behind him when he's soloing. Yeah, and, and different bass players will di- or di- want different things too, you know. Yeah, like, sure. I, so it's like my, my a, point is why not just ask? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had a gig really early in my life. About I was about 16 or 17 in some club. I was, I was real excited about it, you know, carrying my Fender Twin Reverb in, which I can't believe I could even carry one of those ever in my life. <laughs> that one actually had JBLs, you know. So, and I carry, and I was in the shadow all of a sudden. I'm on the stage, and some big, huge woman, like way bigger than me. She was like six five and three hundred pounds, a big wig. And she said to me, "You the new guitar player?" And I said, uh, "Yes, ma'am." And she said, "Let me tell you the three don'ts of comping." <laughs> I went like, "Okay." And she said, "Don't play too loud. Don't play too mo." too much and don't play what i'm singing (laughs) yeah and you know i mean i never heard anybody describe comping ever any better that's so great yeah because i always tell i'll going back to that duo class i'll say look when you're because one of the subjects one day is like comping with other instruments so that the range is incredible you know you know playing duo with a piano is a completely different thing from playing duo with a vocalist or with a horn or with another guitar you know yeah, and, and and I'll say when you're playing with a vocalist, don't play the note they're singing on your top voice. Okay, <laughs> they'll kill you because <laughs> you're basically like they think you're trying to tune them up. 
<laughs> or, or, or you know, like, what if they want to wait to deliver that note because it's an right. important note, and and you give it to the world before they sing it? That's like somebody telling a joke and you rushing in with the punchline. Yeah, you yeah. know. And also, they might want to. They may want to flatten it a little intentionally, right. or whatever. You know, it's they like, just don't want to be pushed around. You know, yeah. give them the space to do their job. You do your job. Just like I, I don't like it when a singer. When you're coming around to the end of a tune, and you know, bye bye, black, there's no way on the guitar that I can go bird. You know, and I just can't do that. And yeah. so that's what we need. There's a word called black bird here. You know what I mean? And then, and my job to to play like some ending while she's singing bird. You right. know, I can do that. Yeah. But she jumps over and does my job, and I'm kind of like I feel like going. Bird. <laughs> yeah. It's like hands off, you know. <laughs> you know, Scott, you were mentioning that thing. That's another thing I get into with the duos classes. Like, I'll bust their chop like when they're comping for each other, and inevitably the comper is always too loud, you know. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, and I'm like, I said, why? I, you know, it's just the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, we trying to play for a stadium. We're in a small room here, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say that's my pet peeve. Yeah. It's and I tell I just tell them loud. That's well, just like, give me a break. Yeah. Well, well, you know, here's my feeling on this. And this is like, it, it goes way deeper, you know, and, and it's my pet peeve. Too. It's everybody's pet peeve. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is when you play an instrument, guitar or anything, one of the first things you learn about that instrument is how to make it louder and softer. I mean, whatever instrument it is, you blow harder, you blow lighter, you hit harder, you turn a knob, whatever the, whatever the physics are of it. That's like the first thing you learn about an instrument is how to make it louder and softer. So if you're ever too loud, that only means one thing. That is you're not listening. Yeah. That's the only reason why you could ever be too loud in the situation is because you're not listening. Because it's easy. It's the first thing you learn about the instrument is where dynamically to put it. Yeah. So like really what you're busting when somebody's playing too loud is they're not listening. Or in the case of I can't get my sound at this low of volume. Well, then you that's something you need to do at home. You know what I mean? You don't bring that to the bandstand. Yeah, and and also I just I just tell them say look try to try to find a volume that works for your comping and your soloing. Now obviously you're going to say oh well I'm not going to be loud enough for my solo. Just pick a little harder, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just you know just get it's a different situation. Like get, learn to make the instrument speak and don't let the pickups be your only sense of dynamics. You know? Right. Well, right. Well, that's it. The right hand, you yeah. know, and it, of course it depends on the instrument too. Right. Right. You know, I mean, but so instruments the, like my instrument's very responsive to that because it's yeah. acoustic too. You know, a, a more electric, you know, style guitar has less dynamic response from the right hand. It has less dynamic response, but but honestly, though, Bruce, I think there is a range there where oh yeah oh totally where, i would say there's where, no range like like it, if it, it's like, not as big as i would i would say if you're at your the loudest volume you should be for comping it's probably going to work for soloing and then even if you need to be a little bit louder that's all you'll need to be is just a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah oh, i agree with that
Yeah. You know. So, and then, you know, we'll, we'll get into bossa nova. That's another thing, too. We get into, I'll say, look, I know that all you North American jazz guitar players don't really <laughs> play a bossa nova. You know, I know you all fake it, you know, because I did for so long. I said, so, so I have this little sheet of just like three basic patterns. One's a one-bar pattern and then two two-bar patterns. One of them's the reverse of the other, you know. I said, just if you have these together... That's huge compared to nothing, <laughs> you know. Right on. Yeah. Ah, thanks, Steve. Thanks, mate. We're going to stop it there and uh, continue more with Steve Cardness in uh, the next coming weeks. Really appreciate that, Steve. Hope you are well, sir. Uh, thank you for joining us and staying to the end of the show. I thought I'd do an outro instead of an intro. I am your host, Troy McCubbin. You have no say in it. And uh, I hope you are well and safe and keeping healthy, your family safe. And uh, you are doing the best to get through all this BS we are all going through. This is episode 226. I cannot believe it. If you want to support Guitar Wank, you can do so. But just go into the website. Go to Guitar Wank com and uh, support us leave a review write a review reviews are everything nowadays in the internet so write a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Amazon or wherever the hell else this is on Spotify I don't know just leave a review just go these guys are fucking amazing that's all you have to say it's pretty simple lie if you have to it doesn't matter um, what else we go? you can go to guitar wank slash patreon no patreon slash guitar wank uh and you can find that on guitarwank.com website and you can prom- um, support us that way by giving us money to keep this show going because uh clearly uh the drugs and the alcohol isn't keeping us going at the moment <laughs> we're running on empty bitches um, but that would be really appreciative. This is, uh, we are a charity and, uh, we do not take any tax deductions. So, um, please, please, please donate through Patreon and you get the Guitar Wank Minute, which, uh, Bruce Foreman does every week, which is, I gotta say, it's, it's amazing. I know I've said it before, but I'm saying it again. It's an amazing one minute. It'll change your life. It'll change your playing. And you get that every week. If you sign up to Patreon, it's, it's it's nothing it's really it is it is next to nothing to contribute or you can donate whatever you want to do uh so you can do that you can also uh email us at guitarwank at gmail.com we have new mugs i can't stress the mugs the new mugs are amazing i've ordered mine i'm waiting for them to come through the mail which could take a while but they're going to come through we have caps we have t-shirts we have everything to uh to keep you happy in these stressful times. Uh, what else do I have to talk about? I've got to say, get up, Ulf. Ulf, get up, my friend in Sweden. Uh, happy birthday, Ulf. I think I said, I can't remember if we said that or not. But anyway, it's, uh, you got to get out of bed and get to, <laughs> get to work. He's in Sweden and uh, he needs to get his ass out of bed. Good on you, Ulf. Uh, what else? What else we got to talk about? Oh, we've got some amazing guests coming up. We've got Danny Raven from the band Marvin uh, they're coming up we had a great chat with Danny and he's got an amazing story and he proves me wrong he 
basically sticks it up my ass and proves or shoves my words up my ass I should say and proves me wrong which is I'm more than happy to take it like that well that didn't make sense but you know what I mean you, you'll get it you listen to the episode anyway it's great Danny's killer and it's very inspirational and very excited about that we have Leland Sklar if you don't know who Leland is stop listening now and just get your shit together because he's the badass bass player on the planet and uh, Sir Leland Scar, and um, I love this man. I think he's freaking amazing, and I'm super excited to have him on the show. We have also we've got Adam Rogers coming up. So um, Scott's got him, and he's a he's a badass. So uh, I'm super excited to talk to him. And then uh, who else we got coming up? I told Scott we're gonna get Steve on. Anyway, <laughs> we had a whole episode last week where me and Scott and Bruce just talked about all the guests that we should get on the show. Completely stupid episode, but anyway. Alright guys, uh, be safe, hang in there, stay positive, keep exercising. you got to exercise, man. Exercise for the body, exercise for the brain, you got to do it. I can't stress it enough. And uh, keep guitar wank, and thank you so much for all of your support, and we'll see you guys all next week. Woo.